Your heart. It's the only one you have. Fortunately, you also have a choice. Expert cardiologists, talented surgeons, highly skilled specialists, all of whom chose WakeMed. Why? The main reason is the same reason patients choose WakeMed. Everything you need for the best possible care is right here. Learn more at WakeMed.org. WakeMed Heart and Vascular Physicians. Your heart, your choice. Tim Donnelly here for DraftKings. The wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of NASCAR, and it is now live in North Carolina. Now you can legally bet on all your favorite sports anytime, anywhere, right here in North Carolina with DraftKings. For a limited time, new customers who sign up with promo code 999 and bet $5 will receive $250 instantly in bonus bets. DraftKings has the best features, including same-game parlays, player props, and more, with fast and easy payouts right at your fingertips. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now using code 999 and bet $5 to get $250 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code 999. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 8-777-185-543 or visit morethanagame.nc.gov. 21 plus, North Carolina only. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. Terms at DraftKings.com slash sportsbook slash NC. NASCAR is not a sponsor of this promotion and used under license. Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the host of the Canes Corner Podcast, Adam Gold. Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold, your host. I thank you very much for joining me. We are brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. If it's for the exterior of your home, you can find it at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. Well, the hurricane season came to an end a few, about a little month and a half ago, uh, when they could not beat the Boston Bruins for the second straight year. Uh, but there's been a lot, uh, a lot to talk about, a lot written. I spoke to the owner last week. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, I know a lot of you have liked that one. 
Uh, but I think what we're about to do this evening, and I don't know when you're listening to this, is likely my most anticipated conversation since I have been doing this. It's not like I haven't spoken to John Forslund before, but this will be the first time as the no longer voice of the Carolina Hurricanes, and that makes me sad. I think it makes a lot of you sad as well. Uh, What we're going to do with John is we're going to talk about uh, his time in the bubble in Toronto and then Edmonton, Uh, that experience, everything about it. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about how the league handled the pandemic, which I think we could all agree was exemplary. And we'll talk a little bit about what's coming ahead. And of course, we'll talk about what happened, uh, why he is no longer the voice of the Carolina Hurricanes. And before we start the interview with John, Mike Maniscalco is a friend. Mike Maniscalco would do a good job for the Carolina Hurricanes. He'll be a good voice, a good representative of the club. So this has nothing to do with Mike. Uh, I congratulate Mike. We've already spoken to him about this. Um, It's a dream for him. And I look forward to seeing him grow uh, and represent the team in a first-class manner. Uh, But this is about my friend, John. Uh, in my opinion, the very best television play-by-play man in hockey. The best. Uh, This is all due respect to Doc Emmerich, all due respect to all of the guys who you like and love. I think John's the best. Uh, So, and as you heard, as we introduced this podcast, as we started this, uh, my most memorable stretch of John Forslund play-by-play. The last minute or so, and frankly, it really was like the last six or seven minutes of the game against the Devils and uh, keeping an eye on what Montreal was doing in Washington because Carolina needed to win and Montreal needed to lose, and that would wrap up the season for the Hurricanes with a playoff berth for the first time in 10 years. And I was transported into fandom through the the words, the the cadence, all of it from John Forsland. So uh, that's where we started. Uh, hopefully, you'll enjoy the conversation. I, hopefully, it doesn't upset you, and uh, maybe we can have a good time and just enjoy a conversation. Uh, with all of that, John Forsland. Well, let me be the uh, not the first because uh, I know you're uh, you're married and you have children living at home. Uh, but let me be the eleventh uh, person to welcome John Forslund back to Eastern Time. Uh, man, you have been gone. You've been gone a long time, John. I remember when you left toward the end of July. Uh, it seems like it seems like two and a half months ago. Does it seem that far that long ago to you? In some ways, Adam, no. Um, in, in some ways, yes. Only because of maybe the, the redundancy of what went on there with the same thing every day, same surroundings, same people. But what overrode all of that was the overall experience and and how phenomenal it was and how great it was to be part of NHL history. And then to see how the tournament played out um, and how the games were played with intensity and 
Uh, they translated over the television, which I was kind of worried about, apprehensive, you know, going into it, how I would perform after the layoff and uh, what my role would be. But it, it all kind of came together. And it was 70 of uh, the most extraordinary days I've ever been involved with uh, professionally. So um, I enjoyed it. It's great to be home. Uh, kind of in the same spot again as we were saying in uh, March and April where you don't know what's coming next, but uh, it's good. I'm glad they, they, they did it. Uh, they did it well. Um, and congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning who are the Stanley Cup champions. That's good. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, as well. And uh, the stuff that I think that uh, a lot of the fans are going to be most in tuned to, uh, I'm just going to set, we're going to get to that, but I want to get to a couple of things First, I want to basically start, maybe warm up with some, you know, bubble musings from you. I would imagine the NHL is probably surprised that they were able to pull this off the way they did. More than 33,000 tests, zero positives. Uh, I don't know what we attribute that to, whether we attribute it to, in part, luck. Do we attribute it to... Uh, so many solid citizens who dedicated themselves to doing it the right way. Uh, but it is remarkable that they did not have a single positive test once they went inside the two bubbles. It's funny. <clears throat> if you recall um, phase three events in the early stages of phase three, when the team started to come back mm-hmm. and have their small workouts, Remember the team that kind of step aside and shut down the facility were the Tampa Bay Lightning. Isn't that ironic? Right. And, and, and I think that was a wake-up call for everybody else that said, you know what, guys, if we're serious, we almost have to go into lockdown in our own markets before we get there. And everybody that I talked to once this thing was underway in Toronto, um, by and large, everybody said that. The coaches were impressed with how their players took the responsibility when they didn't have to. Of course, everyone has to when you get to the bubble. But nobody gets to the bubble unless everybody's clean. And they were able to get through the training camp, get on the plane, and once they got there, and once you're there and you see how things were operating, you understand. It's pretty Loctite. They've looked after every detail. The testing is real. The testing was every day. The only people that were outliers in this circumstance were the staff of the hotels. They basically did the same thing the players did, whereas they, because we talked to a lot of them, they, they, they came to work, they went home, and they made sure they didn't go to another person's house. Right. They, didn't, they didn't go to activities with their kids. They did what they needed to do because they didn't want to be responsible. So I'm not surprised. Is there some luck involved? Probably. There's always luck in life. But I think that the details that were laid out, the safety protocols, um, and, and, and really the restrictions, we were all under, especially in Edmonton. Edmonton was different than Toronto based on the, the layout of the, mm-hmm. of, the, of the hotels and with regard to where the arena is and all these different things. So um, for the teams from the Western Conference, like Dallas, that were there for the nine weeks, <laughs> uh, that's a stretch. Right. In Toronto, we were very lucky. All right. Oh, I want to. I want to ask you this because I, I was listening to uh, your podcast. You weren't. You were on with Scott Burnside uh, on the Two Man Advantage, yeah. and Scott is absolutely one of the best. And I've said this before. Actually, we had Scott on the first 
we did like a Facebook Live when we first got back into podcasting and getting ready for the uh, the the return to play, uh, and I don't know what it is about the sport. Uh, not only are the the people you cover uh, the most, some of the most down to earth people you'll meet, but the people who cover the sport are just world class. And Scott Burnside is in that group, uh, and I know you oh, feel yeah. you feel that way. Scotty's the best. Um, but I was listening to your pod when you were on with him and you mentioned that it was like groundhog day. It was the same thing every day. I'm curious what that was. What was the same thing every day? What if, can you run through a day for me? Well, early it was when you're doing, you know, repetitive games, it was basically, um, get up in the morning and, and if you're lucky to get to the gym, which I try to do first thing, just to kind of clean my mind out and, and get my, my airwaves opened up. And it, I think it helps when you're in hotel rooms with ventilation that can be questionable. You know, you, you don't want to get anything. Um, and I'm just talking about general hoarseness. You know, right. I was worried about my voice. So I tried to do that. And then you get into your preparation and then you go and do a game. And, and in many cases early, you're doing one, two, and sometimes three games a day. So that's three games worth of preparation. So there wasn't a lot of time to do anything else. You know, we, we, mm. there w- wasn't a lot of uh, recreational activities that we were afforded, nor could you have the time to do it. So aside from eating and prepping and working, that's all it was every single day until we got to the conference final and we get out to Edmonton. And then, you know, based on the series you're working, you're off, you know, when the other series is, is, mm is playing. So, um, I started with the Eastern final and then I jumped over and completed the Western final. And then I had a role in the final. Um, and so those days were, you know, the off days, uh, again, you're in the one hotel. There was a courtyard outside Rogers place, mm-hmm. a couple of basketball hoops, there was a place for a bonfire. There were some food trucks and there were some Adirondack chairs out there, but it was a yard. And I want to, I don't want to call it a prison yard. Some people did, but you know, that's where everybody went out to get a little vitamin D and get some air. Other than that, other than that, you couldn't, um, there was one restaurant that served breakfast and lunch. There was a, a, a steakhouse in the JW Marriott where we are. Eddie Olchek, Brian Boucher and myself ate every meal together (laughs) in those two restaurants. And we basically get together and argue about things. And we'd argue about hockey most, mostly, but we stretched it out and other things going on in the world. And we had some real great conversations right. and formed a bond, the three of us. We were already close, but when you're together that much, um, it was incredible. So um, on, on that front, that's what we did. And on Sundays, we'd watch a little football. Um, so it wasn't anything that exciting. Um, but in a way, if you, if you get my drift, it yeah. was it was really cool. It was really cool to be part of that. And then it was like a who's who. At the beginning, it, it was like a convention because there's so many teams. Right. Like a hockey convention. You go down the lobby, everybody should have on a name tag, hello, my name is, right? <laughs> but but everybody knows everybody. So you'd see coaches and you'd see players. And I got to know a lot of the players personally. And we and some of the things I, I we talked about, you'd never use in a broadcast. It wasn't like a locker room chat about their power play or what line they're on or how their team's gelling. It was more about their, their lives at home. And they would ask me, you know, how are you doing? What's this like for you, man? 
you got to be going through uh, a real sacrifice here too and ask me about my kids and all this stuff. So there was a oneness from the commissioner on down. Once he got there, everybody felt that, like they were pulling on the same rope for one goal to get to the end. And I think it was a fantastic uh, presentation and a fantastic finish. Oh, it was it was absolutely tremendous. Now, for uh, for the rest of my life, I'm going to have this image of John Forsland on the yard. Uh, it's too bad you like you, you don't have like an orange jumpsuit or something. I'm that's that's the image I have now. I apologize for that. That's what it was like. That's what it was like. <laughs> How much horse racing? How much horse racing did you talk with uh, Eddie Olchick about? Well, with Edzo, he he has the phone on all the time, yes. and you're having he's he can multitask. He can have a conversation. He's watching you know Santa Anita or whatever, um, you know, and he's got there's the race, and of course, and then he did have an excuse at the end. He he was prepping for the Preakness, which right. is this weekend, right? So, yes. um, but he can't keep his eye off anything. I mean, he's he's a monster when it comes to that stuff. So, good. So, so, how many games did you do? Forty four. That's it? Yeah, 44. (laughs) (laughs) Which puts me around 100 and, uh, I don't know, 151 or 152 for the season, something like that. Are you serious? That's the number? Well, you combine, I think I did, what, what, the Kings played what, 68 games? Yeah. Something like that, 68, 69. Um, I missed three. Right. Uh, I did 28 NBC games at the pause. And then added the forty-four. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Do you do you have like do, do you have the score sheets uh, and your notes from every game you did in the bubbles? I do. I do. Yeah. You got to do something with that. I might. I yeah. might. I have my credential up in my office here. I have two credentials in my office, and that's it. Uh, game six of the twenty thirteen Stanley Cup Final. I was working for NHL Network, Chicago, Boston at the uh, garden. Right. And then I have this, uh, the world feed level two, uh, person. There were five levels of, uh, individuals at this thing based on your credential. One, right. two, three, four, five. And the players and team management were one and we were two. And then it went on down the line. I don't know what I'm allowed to tell about things that I do know. Uh, but, uh, am I allowed to tell people that you were sitting in the booth while Doc Emmerich was at home during the, during the finals and, uh, for part of the East? Okay. Okay. Good. Because I just did. Um, so what was your role during the finals while Doc was doing the game from, I'm, I don't know, his garage? Yeah. Well, at first the plan was to somehow get Doc to Edmonton, but you know, there's some trepidation with Doc, and I think right. you know his doctor, and and obviously NBC wanted to do the right thing. They also knew, you know, they had negotiated hard to make sure that there would be talent, their talent in in the bubble. Okay, right. Sportsnet, the Canadian feed, Hockey Night in Canada, they were not in the bubble. They were in the building, but they were not in the bubble in Toronto and in Edmonton. So they were in the upper reaches of the arena, never being able to access the areas we were and with the, with some of the media that were credentialed to actually be there. And so some of the press, so that's where they had their announced position. Our announced position in Toronto was in the main press box, which was outstanding mm-hmm. dead centering the only people up there. And then in Edmonton, it was a lower level, not as great a look uh, from, from a announcer standpoint, 
It was kind of like a Barclays Center. Okay. Too low for me. Really hard on blocks and posts. And But once you got used to it, you'd be able to work with it. But my point is, NBC wanted their talent in the building, especially in the final. Right. But then realized, you know what? We're going to either have to make a hard choice that we don't want to make here. Is Doc going to make the choice? Or what are we going to do? So they, they set up that studio at home. He was able to do it. But it's based on Wi-Fi. So if his Wi-Fi ever went out, if there was a storm, if something went crazy, uh, what are you going to do? They needed a backup person. So they asked me, and they asked me if I wanted to come home. Then they said, then they thought again and said, you know what? We can plug you into the pregame show. We'd like to do that with you and Pierre McGuire, which they did. So we had a three, three minute mm-hmm. segment. Doesn't sound like a lot, but there's some production that goes into that. A three minute stand up that we did in the pregame show. And then what I would do is at the end of the production meeting, and know, know the, the flow of the show and get to my spot next to Edzo. And I'd sit down, put my headsets on, and I was there. And um, I did a lot of spotting, um, you know, for the for the producer and that. So he'd get word back to Doc on blocks and, you know, posts and things like that. Still difficult to do. Um, anyway, and if anything did happen, I was going to be called in. So I, I basically was the backup goaltender. That's what I was. <laughs> You were the uh, the James Reimer of the yeah. uh, of the broadcast, but and and uh, I, I so I appreciate you like occasionally texting me or at least responding to me as I was bugging the hell out of you uh, during. Well, the- and you know what? I loved I loved every minute of this, and and I was happy to see it through. Um, you know, at home, no problem. I, I called Natalie and and told her you know what we we're going to do, and she's like, great. I don't know how to take that, but she said, great, like right away. Right. So we'll just see. I don't know what that means. After 34 years, I think I'm okay. But anyway, um, we, I wanted to see it to the end. I wanted to be there at the end. I wanted to be part of it. I felt like I was a big part of it. Um, I know that NBC was happy that this was the the system that they had in place. So they were not, you know, worried about anything. Um, Hey, listen, if they're going to hand the ball to somebody and I'm lucky enough to be that guy and they trust me with a game in the Stanley cup final, that in itself is a compliment. So I was very happy. Um, and I was happy to, you know, talk to doc every day and, and, you know, he was all worried about me, you know, not being able to go home and all this. So he was fantastic mm-hmm. about it. But anyway, I, I, I just, I was just happy to be part of it till the end. He's an, another world-class human being, and we're talking to one right now, John Forzen. All right, let's get to the little bit of the hockey, and then we'll move on to the stuff that Canes fans are like, when are you going to get to this stuff already? Uh, I First okay. of all, I, th- I thought the hockey was outstanding, and I thought Tampa, uh, when you have all the talent in the world like Tampa does, uh, and obviously Kucherov and Braden Point and Victor Hedman, these guys are next-level skill-type guys. But when you add the the grit and the grind factor to borrow from Rod Brindamore's vocabulary. When you add that to what they, you know, what they already had, that was a combination that maybe they missed uh, in years past, but those two additions, Blake Coleman, uh, who actually played a role, his name kept coming up. Uh, I opened this podcast with the last minute or so of the game against the devils, which I'm going to talk to you about a little bit ago from last year. Uh, which was the game that put the Hurricanes back into the playoffs for the first time in 10 years. So we heard that name, and Barkley Goodrow, who they got from San Jose, that that just put Tampa over the top and gave them the maybe the edginess that they needed to finally cash in. 
it, no doubt about it. And I really hope, and it always happens, right? It's a copycat league. So the league will see this and there'll be teams trying to emulate this year's formula. But if you looked at Washington in 2018, they did the very same thing. Yep. They, they were able to, you know, uh, assert their will on the other side and play physical and then be able to steamroll through Vegas at the end. But in the NHL, because of the, the youngness of the league, the speed of the game, got to play fast, got to play fast, got to push the pace. You hear it every morning at a morning skate from the coaches, right? right. Um, and then the way the kids are trained today with such a emphasis on skating and skill, we've lost some of the bohemian nature that you need. And, and these guys, Barkley Goodrow and Blake Coleman are not, you know, uh, Stu Grimson and Dave, the hammer Schultz and, you know, Terry O'Reilly and people like this. Um, they're just edgy players that bring abrasion to the lineup that you absolutely need. And I'll just say this about the hurricanes. And I've been saying, I have been saying it for years. If they don't, they can talk about grit and grind, but if they don't, get to that with specific players that can actually do it or want to do it. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be able to move forward as a team. They have an excellent team, excellent team, great foundation, great coach, outstanding talent. But instead of asking table tear to play harder and play better on the wall and Aho and all of this, you, you, you're going to have to get to that level with other players. And if guys like Fogel and McGinn and Martin Muck, aren't effective enough, they're going to have to change the dynamic yep. and make it real. Because from what I saw, Adam, to be honest with you, um, hit for hit, that's a tough style to play that I'm not sure the Hurricanes, as they are today, can do. Maybe they'll prove me wrong, but I don't think so. Um, those games were, uh, you look at Dallas and how they played, mm -hmm. um, they, they are tough, uh, grinding, greasy games. And you have to get to the front of the net. You have to win the battles on the boards. You have to intimidate the other side. You have to have somebody who can look the other team square in the eye. And certainly in a playoff series, game after game after game. And they didn't have it. Yep. The Kings didn't have it. I think it's reared its ugly head against Boston again. So hopefully they'll get the message, but that's their business, not mine. Yeah, you know, the, the thing about uh, the Kings, I don't want to talk too much about the team because I want to get to uh, stuff. Uh, really about you, um, but the it, just the where the shots came from uh, mm -hmm. in the series against Boston, and it doesn't really have to be any more complicated than that. Carolina's shots, even the goals for the most part, except for Game Two, uh, everything came from outside the dots. Um, right. You know, from, and they were able to score, and you could absolutely make the argument that the Hurricanes were the better team for the most of Game Five. Uh, they blew Game Four. Uh, so they could have easily won. I mean, I mean, there were there were wins out there to be had. They didn't have to get beat in five games. That could have been a seven game series uh, without without a stretch of the imagination. However, they would have done that because Boston's goaltending wasn't nearly as good. Yara Halak didn't play well. I didn't think. Um, I right. thought I thought the Hurricanes had the better goaltending in every game they played, w with obvious mistakes. You know. Um, Reimer made the mistake in the, the first goal in game four. Morazic made the mistake before the end of the period uh, in game five, which really was a killer. Uh, but for the most part, they had the better goaltending in every game but game one against the Rangers. Uh, so that kind of held them in, but the Hurricanes were not a harder team to play against than Boston. Boston got everything from between the dots, right, right, right there in front. 
And that's where Carolina has to do better. Uh, I I agree. I don't think that is. I don't think incremental improvement. I don't think uh, you know growth, personal growth, is going to get it done yeah. with this group unless that personal growth comes in the form of Warren Fogle suddenly becomes a guy who can play eighty two games like he played against the Capitals uh, in last year's playoffs. Um, That's you know, exactly right. And yeah. so t- I agree. They they need to go uh, outside the organization. But it was fun to watch. Uh, Tampa Bay. So real, one final thing about the sport and the bubble and where we are in all of this. We got the draft next week. We got free agency right after that. And that's going to be weird because the cap is flat and escrow is high and a lot of teams don't have money and teams have their own caps to deal with uh, that probably aren't even what the salary cap looks like. Uh, then we have no idea how long the offseason is. The offseason could uh, could stretch into January, could stretch into February. I think I think all bets are off. Do you have a guess as to when we may restart this? Yeah, I, I think we're going to restart in January, and I think it's going to be anywhere from January 1 to about the 18th. And, you know, I've heard a lot, a lot of different things. All of it is, again, getting back to the top of the interview, it resembles everything that we talked about in April and May. You know, all these different right. ideas and suggestions and theories, and you're going to read a lot of this in the next few weeks. And I say few because I think the commissioner and the Players Association are going to have to agree on a, a training camp date soon because these players need to know how long they have to relax and how long they have to get their acts together uh, to kind of get in the mindset of training real hard again and then come back and then you're going to have holidays involved. So I think it's going to go by Christmas and I think there's probably some appetite to try and play, not a winter classic, but games on January 1st. Um, again, I think a lot of this will, will, will take a look at what the NBA is doing. I've hear, I'm hearing the NBA might want to start on Christmas Day. Um, but if it goes deeper, I don't think it gets to February. I think if it gets to February, you're talking about an abbreviated season. Batman appears to be hell-bent on 82 games. <laughs> if they can play 82 games, it's going to right to the middle of July. Yeah. And it's going to butt right up against the Olympics, which start, I believe, July 21st. And that is the window for NBC, which is in the last year of its rights agreement, but has to have this thing completed. They don't have the airspace once yeah. the Olympics start to put hockey games on. So that's the issue. And then I think that the longer it goes, God forbid we have another outbreak or yeah. uh, we're in a bad spot again. The governors are not cooperating in certain areas. The The border thing is a real issue right now. You can't get the teams from Canada across the border. Uh, so will there be a Canadian division? They're probably considering that. Yeah. You know, the NBA had one Canadian team and one Major League Baseball team. Uh, you know, they had to worry about a border and they put the Blue Jays in Buffalo. Buffalo well, right. that's not going to happen. Right. That's not going to happen in the NHL. So will those Canadian teams, at least at the beginning, have to play just in their own country because they can't cross the border? That's a political thing. You know, so um, like the pause, which led to the return to play, they were intelligent enough to wait it out as long as they could before they come up with a formulated plan. And they're going to do it again. I know they're going to do that because uh, no one knows. And I think we're going to have to get beyond the election to understand where we're going to be. Um, I don't know if they're completely tied together, 
but it's, it's to me, in my own opinion, it's just too coincidental. You know, that viewpoints seem to lean on one side, almost a hundred percent, uh, with regard to this pandemic, if you're a Democrat or Republican, and then once we get the president, whoever it is, maybe things change. Maybe they don't, I don't know, but I think in the, you know, the month of October is going to be very interesting. All right, let's get to uh, the part that the Kaniacs are here for. Uh, and I'm, I'm not even sure what the best way to do this is. This is, uh, I, as I said, I, I, when I put the open on, uh, I've, been, I've done a lot of podcasts since uh, I, I took over covering the team on a full-time basis uh, four years ago. Uh, the podcasts were weekly during the, then, and then we started these morning afters. And uh, I mean, I don't know, I've done... It feels like 500 podcasts. Um, I have never looked forward to doing one of these more than I have looked forward to this conversation. So I'm really not sure how the best way to do this is, but I think it's to simply ask you where this all broke down. Where did, where did the, was it communicate? You you explain to me where uh, John Forslund and the Carolina Hurricanes hit the fork in the road. That's a great question. Uh, obviously the fork, you know, showed up in June, you know, with my contract, um, expiring on June 30th because there was no communication about anything until around June 16th when, um, my agent had a conversation with the team, um, with regard to what would happen next. Right. And, and basically they asked, you know, they asked, my agent, you know, what does John want to do? And I already had told him what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do is stay. And what I wanted to do was get through the, 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 the pandemic phase of this. Like, you know, a lot of people were saying around the league with scouts and team personnel and coaches, you know, what are you going to do about contracts that expired June 30th when the season hasn't ended yet? And other teams were just letting those contracts be extended through the end of whenever their team is eliminated or, you know, whenever you get to the next off season. So that was pitched and it was met with, you know, not a, not a great appetite whatsoever, no appetite. So basically what the team wanted to do is make me an independent contractor um, and not work for the team anymore. And that, that kind of took me back because I, I didn't know what that really meant. And then they did, they did take a few days and they put together a proposal and that's the proposal that's been talked about reported a little bit that to me was completely foreign to anything I've ever seen before for an announcer. And the the one thing you worry about is, and and remember this is in June Mm -hmm. and in June, we didn't even know if we were going to play in the summer. We, We had no idea. As a matter of fact, there were people, hockey people, and, and, and I believe the hurricanes had this belief that the team, the players would never come back. Right. And so if that were the case, you know, how do I get in a position to kind of protect my family, protect my career? What's going to happen here? And, you know, it was explained to me and I understand, you know, uh, Tom's side of it. I've talked to Tom about this. It was a very civil conversation, but he's made it, he made a decision that, you know, he was going to offer me a, um, a base salary that I couldn't live with a significant, significant pay cut that we just couldn't make our ends meet based on the, where we are in our lives, where I've been with my salary for years. And we'll get to where that has gone in the past. And, you know, one thing I want to clean up here is there's been some 
speculation with fans. And I think it's justified. I mean, I would do the same if I didn't know all the specifics where people think this was about money. This was not about money. Right. Because I hadn't gone north on my money for since 2017. Uh, not, I, and I wasn't planning on it. It wasn't about getting a raise or asking for more or becoming the highest paid local guy in the NHL. That wasn't the case. Fairly paid, yes. Well paid, yes. Um, but with regard to everybody else in the NHL, I was in line and, and, and not at the top. And knew that and didn't want to press the issue on that because I, I love being here. So once we got to that and then how I would actually earn any money based on attendance and percent capacity going in, into this abyss, I was like, there's no chance. Right. There's no chance this is going to work. So the only, the only thing I had to do at this point was to have my agent ask for a conventional salary with a, a discount, with a pay cut. And in a matter of minutes, they said no. And they said, this is how it has to be. And then it got to the end and a few days went by. And I, you know what? It wasn't easy. Um, my family was, you know, taken back by it. I was taken back. By it. A couple things were said, like, you know, the stuff about it goes to the money, goes to the people on the ice and doesn't really matter who's doing the games, you know, and these things. So that, that kind of, that kind of bothered me. Um, but anyway, we get to the end, almost the end is June 29th and, and Tom reached out and he wanted to talk to me and I talked to Tom and I just explained when I said, listen, if, if you feel I'm, I'm overpaid basically, um, and there's no value really for you, then I think there's value for me at this stage in my life and my career, I got to make a decision and I'm, I'm turning this down unless you change, I'm turning this down. He apologized and he said, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's too bad this happened. He, you know, he put a little bit on the, the pandemic, which I understand. But I think if the if the approach were different and they said, listen, times are tough, obviously, we want to keep you. Um, we want to make this work. You know, what do you think we can do? Because they're a reasonable solution. There didn't seem to be for me. And so... I, I was it, and I had to make a choice. And I said that for the first time in my career, I'm going to bet on myself, and I'm going to see where it goes. Do I want this to happen? No. Um, and that's what happened. And um, I think there's a little history, too, uh, leading up to this, which I think is important, and uh, and we can go into that. Yeah, well, so I was going to ask you if uh, if you thought we would be here were it not for the pandemic. but uh, And I may be, I may be wrong here, but... Uh, how, what are the, are, are the roots in this, do, does it date back to last off season? Uh, if I am not mistaken, I thought you were expecting a multi-year deal and received only a one-year contract offer. Is that accurate? Uh, and if so, is that really maybe the beginning of where we got to? Yeah. So in the spring of 19, there were a lot of mixed signals. Um, you know, I thought we were on our way to doing a multi-year deal. And if you recall, you know, the team was in the conference final against the Bruins. Mm -hmm. And if you recall the, the, um, the upcoming September, there was the CBA question. And, you know, the, the players had to decide whether they're going to ride this out for a couple of more years or if there was a chance that the season we just completed would be the last one and we would be going into another lockout. Right. So because of that, the one, and I've been through, I'm a veteran of these lockouts, right? So I've been through three of them. So I wanted to make sure this one had a little bit more insurance, at least made some sense. So term was important. Money was not. 
And again, it wasn't, we were never going to go anywhere further with where we were at salary wise. I understood that. I felt the team was good to me that way. And I felt I'd been really good to the team 20 plus years. And I figured, okay, what can I, what can I reach for? It's security. And I need security at this stage in my life and my career. And as I've said over and over and over again to people at uh, community functions, uh, with you, anybody who's asked me, I love the national work. Who wouldn't? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, every announcer wants to do the most important games of whatever team or whatever league they cover. Um, But it never got in the way, I don't think, of what I was trying to do here. Um, because again, I worked out a deal where when I did leave, if I missed a hurricanes game, I made sure that that money was, uh, reimbursed to the team so that they could use that money to pay my replacement. And that was the deal. So we even had that covered off and then it went from, yeah, there might be an appetite for three years to a shocking one year offer with no change. And as you recall, cause we talked about it, it was even hard to get a contract because Tom was in that, in that mindset. I think he still is. He, he doesn't understand it. He doesn't know why people need contracts in certain jobs. And he even had that go around with Don Waddell, right. right? So, you know, we went down that road, but I got it. And I, and then there was an understanding that in September, once the decision was made on the CBA, that we could at least have some exploratory talks about an extension at that point. And if that was ever done, we never would be here, but that was never done. And only they know the reason. So the whole season went by and nothing was said until the middle of June. And then that happened. I am grateful that, um, you know, I was paid during the pause, but you know what? I did a lot of extra things for Fox and for the team to kind of keep the team out there, zoom interviews and all these different things we did. So I felt I was doing my part. And then we got to the time where we have the contract. And then I really thought we would just get through the tournament and into the into now, where we are right now, we'd be talking about a deal or not in October. But they wanted to do this in June, and they did, and I had to make my decision. So I made the decision. And uh, the decision was I just rejected the offer. And since then, there hasn't been any reach back at all. So I'm just moving on with my life. I don't have anything, um, but I'm just I, – I did the tournament for NBC. I hope it, I hope I did well. And we're going to see what the future holds. And that's exactly where it is today. And the only reason there's two things here. I appreciate the fact that you wanted to talk about this, but I felt that I need to, too, because there's some mixed signals out there right now. And, um, and the two things I want to get across tonight are that I, I love the Carolina hurricane and I love the fan base and I love Raleigh and I love North Carolina. And so some and I'm not saying anybody said this about me, but there was a comment made about, you know, uh, some people care about the team. I cared about, don't get me wrong. I cared about the team, but I also cared about myself. Anybody would. Yeah. That's the world. That's business. That's how it works. And Tom does too. So Tom made his decision. And um, again, it's all about value. If I don't bring enough value to him at what I was doing, then I guess I didn't because he, he decided to go down this road. Is Apex going to be home for you regardless what happens next? I think so. I mean, you know, Kara, my youngest, is in high school, and she's a junior, and, uh, you know, Erica's at Clemson, and Matt's at Lebanon Valley College in Pennsylvania, and I mean, we, you know, we got a set lifestyle, but I I just, I can't really answer that. I don't know what's going to happen next. 
I do know whatever happens, um, whether it be with another team or whether it be full on network, uh, again, NBC has one year left on their deal. So that's kind of a gray area. Um, it's not the easiest time. And then you have the pandemic, which is hard on all of us. Right. (laughs) So I really don't know where we're going. Um, but our plan is to, we don't want to upset her life too much. And I don't think anybody would. So we'll try to make it work the best we can. But Hey, listen, if I connect with another team, uh, they're going to get John Forslund, you know, full, full on, they're going to get the same treatment, you know, so you know how I operate. So that's, that's what we're going to do. All right. A couple of more, a couple of more things. You've been generous with your time as always. And, and by the way, because uh, I don't, I don't know that there's really much to say about it now. Uh, personally, I think, and this is this is just me being a little cynical. I think a lot of businesses, a lot of teams, have used the pandemic as cover uh, for yeah. what they. I'm not saying that that's what the hurricanes have done because I don't. Uh, I have never asked uh, that question of Tom Dundon. Uh, so I'm not trying to say this is what I think the Hurricanes have done, uh, but I think it is a fair thing to, to at least consider that this was what Tom wanted to do all along, and uh, the pandemic just provides uh, useful cover. Again, don't know if that's the case or not. I'd like to think it isn't, uh, but I think firmly across uh, sports and business uh, that this has been utilized as oh, sort of a convenient way to do what they wanted to do uh, in the first base, first place. All right, let's 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 go here, uh, and th- this will be a little bit more personal, I think, uh, for you, for me, and for the people listening. I want to ask you to reminisce. So let's pretend uh, that your Carolina Hurricanes tenure, your career with the, with the organization is flashing before your eyes. What is the first thing? The first thing I remember about, um, being here is the first flight we took to just come here and look at a house and, you know, being overwhelmed by the trees. Um, (laughs) the first thing we remember the two of us. Yeah. trees everywhere. I said, wow, there are a lot of trees here. Um, and then, you know, to, to come here and I, I've told this story at, um, um, service clubs and so on and banquets and whatever. And, and my mom, my, my late mom, um, who lived with us, the first thing she had to do the first week we were here. And I remember I had a one-year-old and I had my wife eight months pregnant. Mm. Um, but my mom had to get her hair done. So she didn't drive. So I drove her all over the place. And that's part of the reason why she came here. We had a young family. She helped us. Uh, she, unfortunately, around the time we won the cup, she got sick and was sick for about 10 years and passed away in 17. Um, but anyway, she needed to get her hair done, which in her heyday was probably twice a week, you know, with the high, high uh, hairspray and, yeah. the, you know, the beehive <laughs> and all that stuff, right? So anyway, I found a salon for her and I took her and dropped her off and then I picked her up and she got in the car and she was laughing. She said, you won't believe, you know, what happened here. And they said, I talked with the hairdresser and she asked me, you know, what are you doing here? And she said, well, my son got transferred here his job. And the hairdresser said, well, gee, he must work with SAS or Red Hat or, you know, one of these companies because everybody was moving here at that right. time, right? And so um, my mom said, uh, no, he does television for the hurricane." And the hairdresser said, wow, that's great to have a weatherman in the family. 
So it's true. So she came home and she said, you guys, you got a lot of work to do here. You know, like, but that's a personal story. But then I remember the first game. I remember going to lunch at Stamey's with Chuck Caton in, in Greensboro. I remember the mascot unveiling, which was an infamous story now. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I remember the, the, the driving back and forth to Greensboro vividly everything. And then of course, everything that happened here, um, all the greatness, the players and the coaches on the ice, the, the, the obvious runs and the cup of course, and the, the, the marquee events, I had a role at the 04 draft, I had a big role at the 11 all-star game. Mm-hmm. But I also remember everything else that you try to do as a team broadcaster, if you're doing it the right way, it's an egomaniac job. It's a self-centered career, if you, if you will. I'm not that way as a person. Um, but I, I feel I do the best job I can possibly do because I love it. I love it with passion, have some ability, but it is the community work and it's all those events. It's a, it's high-fiving people at the 5k it's casino nights. It's, it's, calling the youth hockey games at the hockey camps for a number of years with nobody there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are the things that I, I cherish and relationships and people that I've met. And so many people have reached out to me through this. There's so many supportive text messages and general email uh, comments and social media comments. Everyone has been read. Every one of them means something to me. And that to me is the most rewarding part of this because you know what? You could be the voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs and it's a dream job and it's a marquee team and it's the Cowboys or the Yankees. It's just, it's one of those franchises. You don't really have to connect to the fans other than what you do on radio and television. But in this job from day one, we got to connect with people. Otherwise we never had a chance. And, and friends like yourself and everybody else that, you know, we're not just colleagues, we're friends, you know, in the media. Mm-hmm. It's a unique place. This is a unique media market. This I tell people around the country, this isn't just a different media market. This is a unique media market where people don't leave yeah. because it's great to live here. And it's great to cover all this stuff here. Yeah. And then once we lived here to, to be around all the college greatness and to be asked to be involved in the Jimmy V over the years, that was a thrill for me. Um, so, yeah, these are the things that I remember as much as, you know, Roddy hoisting the Stanley Cup on June 19th, 2006. Do you you ever know, s- that's your pinnacle, right? Yeah, ab- but, absolutely. Yeah. I wasn't here. Uh, I was at... That's uh, right. <laughs> the, the, There's other things to do. <laughs> the only person in the whole state. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I can't even... There's how do you explain that to people? Wait a second, you covered every game but yeah. Game Seven. I mean, what? Yeah. I had uh, you can't you can't even make that up. Nobody nobody would yeah. believe you if you if. Uh, uh, yeah. But whatever, it is what it is. Um, and, uh, and then you dr- you drive into the arena, especially uh, you know on a nice day in the uh, in the uh, early part of the season when the weather's still good or in the playoffs, uh, and they're yeah. tailgating out at uh, PNC. Uh, arena in the parking lot it's a, it's an incredible scene it's uh how college kind of uh infected if i could just just use that term without people getting mad at me now uh college the college experience infected the carolina hurricanes um all right i'm, I'm oh. gonna give you two things that i okay. remember 
Uh, and um, so we'll, I want to talk about these two things. The first thing is more, I think this is what I'm going to miss the most about you no longer being the voice of the Hurricanes. Uh, and it's a simple thing. Um, and it's simply talking to you at practice, at morning skates. Um, and it was, in spite of my schedule, which can be hectic, I made a point to almost never miss a morning skate. Now, I had, like, responsibilities. You got to get there, talk to Rod for the pregame show. But even practices. I mean, it was an absolute, it was a thrill for me to be able to, you know, uh, sit near you, talk talk about the game uh, and all of that. And I will say that between you and the head coach, I learned more about the game of hockey than I did in a lifetime of watching it. And uh, I don't know where I would be covering the team were it not for our conversations, and I throw Roddy in there too, uh, and just incredibly helpful. Uh, so that part I miss. I, I miss already. Uh, not that I can't talk to Mike. I, Mike and I are good friends. Uh, but you, I, can't, I just cannot thank you enough for, uh, for that. And here's my memory. Uh, because this is the way I started the podcast today. April 4 of last year. I am in Minneapolis at the Final Four. I'm watching on my computer. We got Montreal playing in D.C. against the Capitals. Washington needs to win to clinch first place. Montreal still trying to stay alive in the race for the wild card. Um, you've got the Hurricanes at home against the Devils. And 10 years is a long, long time. And I went back and listened to it again tonight because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't romanticizing it. But I can hear that in the call. I can feel the lean years washing away. I can feel the empty springs, the fans' bitterness, the jealousy for the other organizations that just made the playoffs every other year or something like that. And I'm thinking back to when a point or two was the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. And I was feeling all of that. But I could also feel that you were feeling all of that. Oh, yeah. So, and in that call, when you're counting down the Hurricanes against the Devils, and at the same time, and it really stretched, wasn't just the last minute, it was probably the last eight minutes of the game, uh, and you're, you're giving us time and score of what's going on in D.C., that just, that left a mark. Uh, and all I can do is thank you for that. Because of all the Stanley Cup games and everything and all the fun, it's that game that I will probably say that's John Forsland. So that's my memory. Wow. I'm appreciative of that immensely. Um, you, you, hit, you hit it on the head. I mean, that's, that's what happens, right? That's what happens when you live it like this. You're an extension of the fans. And they, and when you say that, um, you don't want to sound again like a blowhard because I feel that, you know, I'm an extension of the fans, but they also are extending back to me. And um, over the years here, um, there's, there's a couple of things. Number one, the pride I would have um, in, in seeing our market 
at its best because, you know, let's, let's face it. It's taken a lot of hits too. Yeah. So in a hit or, hit or miss world clicks and people trying to be funny and sarcasm being at the head of the head of the class often, um, it hurts people. People are working hard. People care. And the, and the fan base that never left that continued to show attrition year after year after year, that that's okay. You can, you can understand that. Um, the endless hours on the aftermath, um, you know, is a therapeutic session for me, um, to connect to the fans, right. listen to their heartache. But I always said, you know, when we don't get any calls, we have trouble. Yep. And it's funny the better the team played, the fewer phone calls we, we got. I think that's just the way it works. Yep. Um, but, but I think what I'm driving at here is that I, I was very proud of, of the market when it was on display, full display for the rest of the league. And I could say to my friends around the NHL, look at this. Isn't this a great place for hockey? And I believe that it is. Some issues are going to have to be ironed out here moving forward, you know, with building and mm-hmm. how, however this plays out. Uh, what effect this thing has, the pandemic on the, on the, on the, on the organization and, and his ownership, only time will tell. But I, I think, by and large, that is one facet of this for me. And the other is that I, I had the energy on, on many nights when I was, I mean, seven and nine, exhausted by my own doing, because I'm doing other games, national games. I could have backed off my schedule, but I felt, you know, time is now in my career. I have to do this. They're giving me opportunity each season, bigger and bigger games, um, higher viewership, you know, you have to do what you have to do. And I felt that I was helping. Um, so I was honored to be doing all these extra games, but when I'm exhausted and getting three and a half hours sleep and driving into the rink, just as excited because of that relationship I had with the fans and that's never going, going to go away. And that's why I said last week, you know, from, from Edmonton with Mark Armstrong, um, I'm never getting over this. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to get over that. I could right. go on and do whatever. I mean, if I work for another team, if I work for another network, if I am, if I am God willing, the guy someday, um, and that's how they have it set up. Um, I'm still never getting over this. I mean, how do you do, how do you do this for this long and see this happen and not have any emotion? I got a ton of emotion attached to this. It's not very good. And I'm trying to work through it. Like I think anybody would. Yeah. It's just cause it's cause you're a human being. John Forsland. Right. Um, right. Uh, speaking sp- speaking of the fans, and I only have a couple of more things, and then I'll let you uh, continue on your day uh, or your evening, and maybe get some sleep. Who knows? Um, I got an email. This is just out of nowhere. I got an email today from uh, somebody who listens to the show because we're our, we're across the state. Uh, so somebody who listens in Winston Salem, and he emailed me about something unrelated to the Hurricanes, but he said he sent me an email, and then at the bottom. Uh, he just said, by the way, I'm not a Kaniac anymore. Wherever John goes, I'm going with him. Uh, uh, so it just made me laugh. Um, now, I don't necessarily believe him because fandom is a powerful thing. Right. Uh, uh, right. But that still, I think the sentiment is held by, uh, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is. It's the overwhelming majority of Hurricanes fans uh, that, feel the same way now they'll be fortunate they they have an effect uh an affinity for mike so that'll it'll be it'll somewhat ease the uh ease the burn but um i think that everybody's pretty much feels the same way that 
they miss you already. But uh, it just was just cool to uh, to get that uh, get that email. So let me close on this. And I guess you already you already have touched on it, but I want to give you another opportunity. Just basically, uh, you're like closing remarks to Hurricanes fans, and it ain't like you're uh, you're not going to be doing Hurricanes games again because this team's going to be in the playoffs. You're going to do plenty of Hurricanes playoff games, uh, so we'll be seeing you at PNC Arena. And who knows, maybe NBC and NBC Sportsnet will do multiple Hurricanes games during the season as opposed to just one. Right, and I hope that day comes. I hope I get the assignment. Uh, I, I, I will look forward to that without question. And you know what? I was hoping, and it looked very unlikely, that there will be a stadium series game you know, played at Carter-Finley. Um, I had a feeling I might get that game. And maybe I'll get that game you know, down the road someplace. But again, a lot of that has to do with the rights holder, who it is, the network, and, and all of that could change. What I will say is that, you know, again, I, I loved it here. I love the team and I love the fans and they all go hand in hand. And, um, you know, I'm not a, I'm probably not going to write something out. I don't think I will. Maybe I will. You know, I'd like to thank, you know, obviously the players over the years and all these different things, but you know what? I'm not retiring <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm not, saying goodbye to the game and I think there's a chance that I'll still be doing Hurricanes games in the future and if they continue down the road and make the right decisions and let this coach do his thing there's a chance they're going to go deep in the playoffs and there would be a chance that exclusively I'll be doing those games and that would be a wonderful thing for me I don't have any animosity towards the players obviously or the coach or anything um, do I have animosity, uh, uh, the management and the ownership of the team? I don't know. I think anybody would in my position. I think that I'm working through that again. I'd like to reinforce to the fans that Tom and I did speak on June 29th. That's the last time. And it was a civil conversation, two grown men who made a decision. The decision doesn't sit well with me. Never will because of my relationship with this fan base being taken away from me when I don't think it needed to happen. It's upset my family. My family's going to move forward too. And we're going to have a new beginning somewhere else. Um, but I just want to say thank you to everybody. I want to thank everyone who's touched our lives here, not just me, but my kids and my wife, um, and how much I appreciate that. But I don't think it's going away, and I think that's that's the good news because I, you know I will be back in some shape or form. I will always have a connection with the Carolina Hurricanes. I always have, and I have tremendous respect for Rod Brindamore, and wish him a ton of success. And everybody else is still going to carry on in their in their jobs moving forward. And the fans have been great, and they can say what they want. And if they make a decision to give up on the team in the short term or the long term, that's their choice. But don't cheat yourselves. My advice would be if you love the team, support the team, support the area and, 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 and enjoy it and, and give everybody a chance to do what they need to do. I, I'm just disappointed that it's not me anymore, but I've come to the realization that it's not going to be. At least that's what I think, um, because, again, they haven't really formally announced anything yet, but I think they have in a way. Yeah. So I think that's where it's headed. And um and so be it. And I, I just, I, I just am, am grateful for what I've been able to do here, which when we came here 
1997, I had no idea that it would go down any of these roads that it has, nor did I think it would end, Adam, like it had. Right. Um, I thought there'd be a day where I just have to leave. I could say goodbye the right way, um, and it would be on a telecast. But it's not going to be. That My last telecast was in Detroit <laughs> in a game that was in the middle of March that uh, was nice that they won, but they should have won the game. Right. And they were starting to play better, and they had some traction, and they earned a playoff spot and all that stuff. But there was a lot of hockey left to be played. So um, who knows where any of that would have gone. But I just wish it would have ended conventionally because in my mind I had reached a level where, you know what, um, if I have to go somewhere, maybe I will because I have to, but I want to I close it out here the right way. And I think enough people know of me because I got the question at nauseam the last few years, you know, don't leave us. or you just want to do the national games. Blah, 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 blah. I always wanted to do both. I always wanted to be that national beacon, which I think had some effect on the franchise. I hope they had some value in it, but maybe they didn't. And then I wanted to be able to do every Canes game the way I thought it needed to be done. And I think I did that, but I want to thank the fans for giving me the energy to do it game in and game out. The athletic was not wrong when they did their ranking of local broadcast teams in the NHL when they had you and Trip Tracy as the number one crew. I I spent a, a lot of time on NHL Center Ice uh, watching games across the league. Uh, I know what I like, and the way you and Trip have done this for years, to me, has always been the best. It was great to see that recognition uh, and I'm sure Trip feels a little, uh, a little empty uh, because you're not there. Because I know you guys had formed a, uh, a bond of friendship. Now, I'm not saying that's not going to change, uh, but it's going to be it's going to be different for Trip going forward. Uh, even though he's got a great relationship and he's got chemistry with Mike, uh, you guys were a blast, an absolute blast to listen to. Uh, and you, when you can do the job that you do, which is the best in the business. Uh, and Trip, who I think uh, is way better than people give him credit. Uh, I don't know why they don't want to, but for some reason there's a lot of people who don't. Um, and you guys have fun, and that's it has to be fun. It's a TV show first and foremost, uh, and I'm going to miss that. So, again, thanks. Well, thank you. And uh, you know what? He, he had a difficult decision to make, too, and he did. And... Uh, and you know what? I, I respect that. And I, and I just hope that again, he's going to carry on in his role. They all are. Um, it's a good group of people and, um, uh, they, they, they'll, they'll do the job. They'll do the job. I just, it's, it's a tough, it's, it's, it's hard for me to, um, you know, kind of make the break completely. Um, but I'm getting better every day. I'm getting better every day with it. And, um, the only thing I have to, come to a conclusion on is what's next. And, um, I don't know right now. That's a little concerning. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. I'm sure in the next few weeks and, and see what's out there. Uh, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for this. Uh, we spent a little bit longer than I had anticipated, but, uh, this, the conversation went where the conversation went. Uh, and I, I, obviously I have your phone number. So yeah, we're not going, you and I are not changing anything. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and remember, I'm always available now. Okay. <laughs> um, and a different perspective. You know? Okay. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't have to. You know what the good news is? I, you tell me. I don't have to change much. 
you know, with regard to the hurricanes. Um, maybe right. to a fault, I was too honest, right? Maybe yeah. I was too honest. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you unabashed opinions, if you want them, um, of, of where it's going, good or bad. And, uh, and the league in general, but, um, listen, I'm, I still, I still think I'm a kid and I feel good and thank God my health is good. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing this for a while. And then you and I are great friends. So How's your hair going to change hair? Good. My hair's horrible today, but, uh, it held up well in the bubble because the consistency of the water was good. I wasn't shifting hotels every day. So the shelf was locked in. And the epoxy was in there. It was like I was repairing a fender every day. That's and, beautiful. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. You're the best. Thank you, John. You too, buddy. Thanks, Adam. Well, I hope you got what you wanted. I hope your needs were met. I don't know that my needs were. Um, I don't know if you could tell, but when I was going through my own, my memory of John Forslund, the work of John Forslund, uh, it was a little bit difficult to get through. Um, if you know John, if you have been fortunate enough to get to know him at all, he is a world-class human being. Uh, so I wish him well, and I wish the Hurricanes well, and nothing's going to change from my end. Going to do the same thing. It's the franchise. I'm a fan, too. I'm not just a reporter. I'm not just a columnist. I'm not just somebody who watches the games and spits out opinions. Uh, it's the franchise that I have truly come to love. And it's because of guys like Forsland and Rod Brindamore and Trip Tracy that that's the case. So uh, I'll do the same. Uh, and I trust you guys will either respect that, hate that, love that. I don't know. Uh, but everybody's got to make their own decisions, right? Uh, thanks again for hanging out. As for John Forsland, I will leave you with uh, these words, none better. Thanks for hanging out on the Cades Corner Podcast. I'm Adam Gold, brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. If it's for the exterior of your home, it's at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina, aluminumcompany.com. We'll see you next time on the Cades Corner Podcast. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Canes Corner Podcast. Is getting your CPAP supplies a real pain? It doesn't have to be that way. Hi, I'm Brandon Giggling, president of Parkway Sleep Health Centers, and we are North Carolina's number one source for CPAP machines and supplies. Our streamlined process makes getting your CPAP as easy as one, two, three, and we ship anywhere in the state. If you're in need of a CPAP machine, supplies, a knowledgeable doctor, or a sleep study, Parkway has you covered. For information or to schedule an appointment, visit parkwaysleep.com. Sound sleep, sound health.